Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Mixed Motherhood Podcast. Um, today, me and Danai are here with my friend, Crystal, and we are ready to get into this conversation. Hi, Crystal. Hey, Crystal. Hi. How's it going? Good, good. How is Texas today? It is hot. (laughs) I feel like everybody in Canada right now is so jealous of you because it's Mm -hmm. literally (laughs) at that point where the sweaters have come out. I'm on a hurricane warning. So hopefully I would have survived this by the time this comes out. Um, But that's great. What part of Texas are you in? Um, I'm in northern, um, about an hour north of Houston. It's uh, called the Woodlands. Okay. Oh, nice. Interesting. Nice. And how long have you lived in, in Texas? Um, I've lived in Texas for about uh, a year, and a, almost a year and a half. Okay. Wow, it's been that yeah. long already, hey? I know. Time flies. Okay. Where were you living before? I was living in Grand Prairie, Um I lived there in Alberta for, oh my dear, like three years, mm-hmm. um, and then Edmonton, um, and then the East Coast, actually, in Nova Scotia before that. Oh, where in yeah. Nova Scotia? Uh, Halifax. Okay, nice. Yeah, so all over the, all over the country. <laughs> oh, nice. So you are originally from Canada? Yes, I'm originally yeah. from Nova Scotia. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family. Um, so yeah, so I'm originally from Nova Scotia and I met my husband in university. We have two kids, uh, a boy and a girl. And yeah, we've been together for, oh my gosh, like 18 years. No. Yeah. Something like that. 17, 18 years now. So he's from originally from Malawi. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've lived all over. We like to travel and now we're in Texas. Hopefully we'll be back in Canada though. That's where, you know, our hearts are, but Texas mm-hmm. for now. <laughs> yeah. And do you like living yeah. in Texas? I do. I yeah. love the weather. Um, the people are really nice. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely a different experience, which we're enjoying and our kids are enjoying. Like we don't need to worry about snow, no shoveling. <laughs> <laughs> so how old are your kids? Um, I have a boy and he's seven um, and I have a girl and she's four. Oh, four is a great age. It's like right between four and I would say nine is kind of that magical age where everything is simple, (laughs) I guess. And um, children still have the wonder of like Christmas and um, all that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that my oldest, my oldest is six, that she's kind of in that phase right now. My two and a half year old is still in that, oh my goodness, what am I doing phase? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I feel so bad to say terrible twos, but it really does suck. Like, yeah, the potty training, the today I like this food tomorrow, I absolutely hate it. Smooth swing. Yep. Um. Just like the lack of empathy and like not understanding that you can't <laughs> throw things or bite people yeah. or take things that are not yours. It's yeah, definitely tests your patience as a mother. So I'm looking Absolutely. forward never, to four. <laughs> Sorry, I never thought me. about that, um, that lack of empathy. And it's, I guess it's because they don't know, but it is definitely, yes. it feels like they have zero empathy for anybody else but themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, it it's feels almost stage. sociopathic because it's like, why would you, why would you throw that at at your like, sister? Like, why would you like, do that? And the child, yeah, why is why would like, you bite her? And then I'm just stone cold after, like, yeah, I did that. Yes, yeah, right. So tell us where you met, where you met your husband. Uh, so we met in university. We were both going to the same school. We were friends actually for about a year. We were both dating other people. Um, And then a year into our friendship, we were single and we just decided, you know, let's start a relationship. And we were together for a really long time um, before we actually got married. We've only been married for almost six years now. And uh, yeah, we decided 
to have kids and we did it a little bit differently than most. We had our first child before we got married and, you know, he was a part of our wedding and yeah. So yeah, we were friends first. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about that. You got pregnant um, uh, before you even thought about getting married. How, how was that experience and how did, how did your families receive that? Uh, We're very lucky. Our families, well, I mean, on my side, my parents were already grandparents. Like I come from Mm -hmm. a pretty big family. So they just wanted more grandchildren. And we were essentially the last ones to have children. We waited quite a while. So my parents were, were, thought it was great. And same with his mom and his family. Mm -hmm. Like we were really close. So we were, we had a lot of support. Um, We didn't, think maybe we would get pregnant as fast as we did but we did and we uh yeah we had my son and then chose to get married after that which both families were very supportive of and then we had our daughter so yeah we were very lucky yes well I know that in African culture sometimes it could be iffy if yeah there's like no Maybe not so much as like the wedding in like a, a a Canadian sense or like a Western sense, but like some sort mm-hmm. of like um, commitment, whether that's traditional or legal or whatever. And I know that when we got married, that was kind of like the given that, yeah, you, you can have that big like wedding with the dress and everything, but you know, there's this part of the culture that needs to be done. Like you, you have to go mm-hmm. through this process and um, you know, fortunately, you know, both sides of the family were really excited and and um, interested in in doing that and keeping the culture alive that way. Did you guys do anything like that, or did you just do it all together? Or um, we uh, we ended up we did it all together. We actually went to Mexico to get married. Oh, nice! We wanted to pick like a third location. Um, and we wanted it to be somewhere where we could go and we could connect as like one large family, but we mm-hmm. didn't want that massive wedding. We wanted it to be more about our families. Some of our family members were just meeting each other for the first time. So yeah. we wanted to make it kind of smaller and intimate. We had like 40 people, I think. Um, and some oh, of wow, like our yeah. best friends and yeah, we wanted a location where everyone could go. We could celebrate you know, get married, but also like just spend time together for our families to kind of connect and get to know each other. So yeah, it was, it was a great week. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 That sounds really cool. Um, so like, do you feel like he has some parts of his culture? Cause I know his family lives in the States, so I'm not sure how mm-hmm. connected they are to the Malawian culture or if they keep a hold of some of things, does he bring some of that in like with the kids? Absolutely. And then, yeah. 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 Um, uh, well, yeah. So his family members, most well, most of his family members are in the U.S., mm-hmm. a couple in Canada and then a couple in the U.K. Um, we definitely as a family, I think as our kids get older, too, we make it uh, more a part of our, our lives. Um, so mm-hmm. like food wise, for sure, integrating that into our like our mealtimes sometimes like SEMA. Um, is a huge staple um, in his culture. So, I mean, I I even make Sema now. I'm actually, I'm pretty good. Um, and <laughs> just like different dishes. So like I, I lean on his mom. His mom's great to be like, you know, when she does come to visit, what are you making? You know, I want to make this as well. And she's really helpful giving me those recipes um, so that my kids can, you know, we can pass those down, like just specifically from her to our kids. And um, as far as language, my husband doesn't really speak like his native language. He spoke English and went to boarding school. His mom does speak a little Chichawa with the kids and tries to teach them some of the words, which is great. So as they get older, I think that'll be something we'll probably try to incorporate a little bit more with them. But yeah, just visiting, um, connecting to just like the Malawian community. So in Canada, there's actually a large Malawian community that we were a part of. 
like friends. And so we became like, we were just like one big family. So we would get together monthly. Our kids would all play together, eat food, you know, celebrate, you know, whatever it was. Sometimes it was just a party, but sometimes we would celebrate birthdays. And yeah, so I feel like we definitely tried to keep both sides of our culture incorporated with both our kids. Oh, for sure. Sima, I'm assuming is like sadza. So it's like pap. Yeah. And it's, it almost, it almost looks like mashed potatoes is what I tell my, my kids are like, well, what is the texture? Like it kind of tastes like the same idea. Um, and yeah, I even, they, my, my son will like take it and he'll eat it and, you know, dip it in whatever meat or stew we have going on. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he's hands-on now that he's a little bit older. I mean, my four-year-old is, you know, just picky by nature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we try. Yeah, that's but, good. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know the Malawians had like the similar, like pap or sadza or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's actually pretty common in sub-Saharan Africa. Like it's called different things, obviously, but I think it's pretty like universal. Standard. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, this is why I really like to talk to people from the African diaspora because we have so many things in common and Mm -hmm. it's nice to see that you know we have like the same meal (laughs) in Malawi Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah so we you talked a little bit about language and you know how your children don't really speak uh Chichewa and that Mm -hmm. your your husband didn't really speak it growing up does he ever express like sadness or regret about not having learned or um it's just, is that just something that you kind of have to accept? That's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting because um, I, I believe like, so my, my husband is a twin um, and one, so him, he can, I believe it's, he can understand Chichawa. Like, I mean, his mom does speak it around other Malawians, but most of the time it's obviously in English, but uh, my husband can understand Chichawa really well. I think that, and then his twin can speak it really well, but doesn't understand it as well. So it's really interesting. (laughs) Yes. It's really interesting, but yeah, he hasn't, I mean, definitely for sure. um, He would like to reconnect and, you know, learn that, especially now that we have children, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely that wants that to be something where he can converse with his kids in his native language. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I think for sure that will be something that um, we will work on now that our kids are a little bit older and make that more of a priority. So Okay, so yeah. now that we've chatted about what he can bring, so what does the Nova Scotian crystal bring to the table? <laughs> <laughs> Nova um, Scotians know how to have a good time. So I'm sure that Crystal is, she could throw down a great kitchen party, bring some instruments, she'll play. Yeah. Like. Um, yes. So definitely um, our side of the family, no, we definitely know how to have a good, know how to have a good time. We like just my family is more music, like the music and of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Like I played the fiddle. Yes, classic. Like, honestly, like anything you can think about native Nova Scotia, I've done. Like I was a Highland dancer, mm-hmm. so I've showed. You know, I've kind of like showed a little bit of that to my daughter. Like you know, this is what mommy did. Like, um, oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So and just like food, like certain foods. Like I mean, it's similar to Newfoundland, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like because yeah. I grew up in Cape Breton, so oh um, yeah, a lot of those food choices like similar. And my parents, you know, make all of those those things, and my kids um, have had them. So I mean, you know, they they love Nova Scotia food. I mean, my son loves like seafood, so. Pretty much mm-hmm. anything from Nova Scotia I've, mm-hmm. I've given my children in regards to different foods. And yeah, they're so both sides definitely like are, we visit Nova Scotia. So my kids have experienced that side um, yeah. of their family and my family visit lots. So mm-hmm. yeah, both sides of, of their, of their, their culture is definitely like we, we do a little bit of both. So, so did you ever go to Malawi? When you guys were together? No. 
No, you've never been. Okay. That's very interesting, right? I know. Like we, I haven't been, my husband's been back twice. Um, I have not gone yet. It's actually something we are planning for in the near future. COVID kind of like derailed the travel plans for everyone, but a hundred percent. Um, we're actually thinking like as a huge group to go to Malawi. So like his brother, oh, okay. and his sister and his mom, his mom goes often, but we're we're planning to hopefully go as a family down there. Does his yeah. mom live with you? No, uh, she lives um, She lives in the U.S. in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. She visits, yeah. though. So it's been great living in the U.S. We see them. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. That's something I was actually going to ask about. Um, now, from, from the outside looking in and without yeah. having, you know, much of any lived experience of what it's like to raise biracial children in the US. I'd like to mm-hmm. kind of get your take on it because we know as Canadians um, that our our cousins down south have a very complicated relationship with race. In fact, America was built on this the the racial identity in question and, and all of that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And you know, we have talked to a lot of mums on this podcast um, about their Canadian experience with things like racism and identity. And, you know, for example, finding people within their classrooms or their communities that are racially similar or that their children can identify. Can you talk a little bit more about what you have observed being from America, being well, living in America and being from Canada? Uh, Okay. Um, So I'm in Texas, so pretty South. I'm definitely the, I can only speak on obviously the area I live in. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. I can, our neighborhood is very diverse. Um, Okay. For sure more diverse than where I was living in, um, in Grand Prairie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So with that, you know, his classroom, um, even though we live in a diverse neighborhood, like we live in an area and go to a school where it's uh, middle class and upper middle class, and we're in the middle class area. So our area is very diverse. The school itself, it you know, it's it's diverse, but there's definitely a large like white pop like white population of children there. Experience wise, I mean, definitely living here versus Canada, you know, there's been some experiences that, you know, maybe we probably wouldn't have had in Canada. I'm not quite sure, but, you know, right off the bat, like everything form-based here, they want you to check, like, what is your child's race? And, you know, that kind of threw me off a little bit because, you know, there's certain categories there. You know, my child is, you know, like, what do I check off? Like, do I check Mm -hmm. off, you know, other? Do I check off multiple things? Like, like, what is the purpose of these forms? Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that for me, kind of, I guess, you know, kind of threw me off a little bit. It's interesting that you say that, because I think that a lot of places don't do that. Like they don't, collect race-based data Mm -hmm. but I think that in a way it's very interesting that Mm -hmm. the U.S. collects this kind of information because you have seen that there's disparities in all kinds of things depending on race and I sometimes feel like if we had some of this information in this country it would Mm -hmm. give us a clearer picture of what the actual status of things are because you have provinces point. like Quebec that refuse to acknowledge that there is a problem with racism in this country. And, you know, that can be very hurtful for mm-hmm. racialized people. If the fact that, you know, the, the highest levels of government are not even, <laughs> they're not even acknowledging that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that having in- data like that mm-hmm. would really help those people make that argument that, you know, it's time to put a focus on this. Because if you had statistics on like how well racialized kids do in school, you have like health health statistics on racialized children. If you had university entrance data 
for racialized children, if you had test scores information for racialized children, you would be able to see that really there is a, a, a disparity in our country mm-hmm. for those children. And we already know that there is a disparity with First Nations people. So anyway, I just wanted to say that it's really interesting that the U.S. collects this because it gives them a, a clearer picture. Like you have data to say, look at what's happening with this mm-hmm. with children from this particular group. Let's focus on that. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, when when she's going to mark, to tick a box, what box is she ticking? Because how is she, it's like, where do I fall here? If I tick black, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily black. If I tick white, they're not necessarily white. So what, uh, where am I putting them in this kind of questionnaire? And I suppose there's two sides to it. Because if we're collecting that data to be able to help something, then abs- then you're missing a group of people, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're collecting Absolutely. it just to collect it, you're still missing a group of people. So, well, this is the thing about mixed kids, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, is that mixed children will identify differently. It's not as, like, yeah. you know, being a Black person from Botswana or a Black person from Trinidad, like you would still identify as being Black. As but black. when you have a mixed racial identity, it really depends on a lot of things. And we've spoken to moms who say, you know, their children identify as both or their children identify more as this or their children identify more as that. So I don't think that there can be really a box. <laughs> I think being able to check a whole bunch off, I mean, it also depends on what you look like. Not every a mixed race child yeah, will true. be mixed presenting. Some of them will be yeah. white presenting. Some of them will be black presenting or Asian presenting. And I think a, a lot of how they identify is how they are racialized externally by society. So if you are a half white, half black person, depending on what you look like, you know, you may be racialized as a black person. Or if you have in the example of Meghan Markle, who kind of looks more onto the like the white side, um, you may identify more with that. But I think it's 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 tough. And I always feel like I gotta let my kids decide, but at the same time, <laughs> the world is going to see them as as this. Certain so way. I need to prepare yeah. them for that reaction. Um, yeah. I mean I don't know if yeah. you have the same opinion, Crystal. I definitely do. I very, very true. Like I agree with everything you just said. Like I want my kids to, to decide, like, you know, like I obviously tell them like you're, you're you and you're, you know, we talk about both sides and you're mixed from your mom and your dad, but like, you know, I want them to decide, I guess, you know, I don't want them to feel, yeah, society or people may, you know, decide for them, but I want them to have the confidence in themselves to be like, well, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of what everybody else or society presents them as. But yeah, definitely preparing them for that as well, especially living in the U.S. for, for the for the near future. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do they ask any questions, especially your boy, I guess, the four-year-old won't know much now, um, but uh, does he ask many questions? Um, about his background, you mean, or just in yeah, general? Yeah, in general, his- like about his background and just about where, you know, because I know that my girls, as they were coming up, they would be like, um, I, so I don't look like that person, but I kind of look like right. that person, but like we're not quite that person. So like, where am I at here? Like what's happening, right? Uh, yes. So I feel like the last year, um, he's definitely because he is he's in a he's in a you know a diverse area um he obviously knows this is what my dad looks like this is what my mom looks like he'll kind of identify himself being like well i kind of look like this person or do i look like this person you know so he does ask those questions and i mean we just we answer them but um he for sure in the last year has been like you know or he'll compare this person looks like my dad or this person looks like my mom. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. So, you know, skin color definitely has come up this year for him. Um, and just like, you know, looking at the representation in his classroom, you know, I look like this kid, this kid looks like my dad. Like definitely we've had those conversations um, pretty much just like, like since, you know, like six, seven, he's been getting a little bit more curious and is really like he gets it. So I, I think that he's he's just more so like he had, you know, he was curious and now he's like, OK, well, I get it. I know what I look like and who, mm-hmm. I am, you know, yeah. my background. So, yeah, the last year you- for sure. My four year old. No, 
<laughs> Do you find he gravitates to any kind of, or just kind of whoever wants to be his friend? Because I know at this point, they're just kind of like, whoever wants to be my friend. But I used to find my oldest used to gravitate sometimes and she'd want to be see, you know, not see, uh, just play with people that kind of look like her, not because of anything, but I think it was just more curiosity. Like they look like me. Mm -hmm. So maybe if I go talk to them, we can be, you know what I mean? Not necessarily in any kind of a mean way or anything. It's just that she gravitated a bit sometimes. Yeah, I definitely like, I mean, he, all his friends, he's got like a very diverse friend group. So mm-hmm. he just, he's excited to have friends. He's very social, <laughs> a little too social. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> a little too social. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. We haven't experienced that yet, but like, I, I mean, he definitely like if we're out and about, like he, he will be like, oh, like, you know. Like he, he will notice, he'd be like, well, that person looks like me. So he definitely gets that. But as friend group so far, um, he just wants to be everybody's friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. No, that's what we want, right? Mm-hmm. When they get older and they have more of like a, a strong identity or a sense of self, those kind of things will change too. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. I know that in, in the teenage years, it's, it's really like, and I mean, I... <sighs> You couldn't pay me enough to go back and be a teenager. <laughs> but just like all of the, the, you're trying to figure out who you are and where you stand in this world. And I think a lot of those um, emotions that you have to kind of go through, it would like, I think that it will help them at that period of time if they have friends who are going through the same thing that they're going through. Yes. But right yes. now. You know, I don't think that they're at that stage where they have to navigate these big feelings or these big questions Mm -hmm. about identity and, you know, what they what they strive for in life. I think that's going to come later. And Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine was just saying, you know, our job is to just like make sure that they a have good uh, self-esteem and great friends so that they Mm -hmm. can navigate those things authentically without having that yes. external influence that can sometimes come from because i mean we all probably went through this like high school you try to gravitate towards <laughs> something that maybe is not really who you are yeah mm-hmm. yeah but I, I think if you like instill that strong self-worth and you know they have that community around them and you know, you are their safe place. Um, you know, yeah. the world is a little bit, you know, easier to navigate, I would think maybe because they would have that, you know, that basis of being like, I know me and I know my family and I have people to lean on. Well, that's my hope anyways, but <laughs> I don't know about yeah, teenagers. Know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think I like that you and your husband are very good at keeping both cultures going because um, my thought process is uh, when they get to that stage, they're not going to go, okay, well, I, I more identify, for example, with my Nova Scotian side, but they're not accepting me like the, the you know, then they are uh, facing some sort of self-identity uh, trouble there. They can just go, yeah. well, that doesn't matter because I can go here and I can go here because everybody's kind of like my friends, right? Because I understand mm-hmm. both sides. I've, I've got both sides of me very present in mm-hmm. my life. So it's not so like I only have ever been introduced to one side, but that side doesn't quite want me so like where am I going Mm -hmm. then right you're not lost in that middle you kind of got everywhere to go so maybe we gave our children the best life possible because they can flow everywhere (laughs) and I mean any any mother wants to do that for her children they want their Mm -hmm. children to have the tools that they need to be able to navigate these things but there's certain things that we are just never going to understand about the mixed kid experience we're going to understand some of it but not all of it. And I think that mm-hmm. it's important to get our cues from them and to just kind yeah. of basically determine a roadmap based on what they're telling us. And like you said, Crystal, having good communication with your child is important because without that, then, you know, they're kind of dealing with it all alone and it's a lot to deal with. anything that you and your husband disagree on parenting wise being from different cultures i mean yeah i mean for sure i mean i mean i feel like just navigating parenthood um 
as two people is yes. definitely you think you have it figured out and you talk about, you know, things before you have kids, but then things come up and you're like, oh, wow, like that's how you would do that. Like, you know, um, so discipline um, has been something where we're united now, especially as they get older um, with my oldest, like just, you know, taking taking things away and, you know, what what is our consequences for these actions? And he, his background, he was in a boarding school. That was a very like disciplined day to day. Um, And, you know, I came, I lived in the country and like I had lots of siblings. So it was just different backgrounds. Um, But I mean, we, we communicate and now are at a point where we are like a team and we've agreed on, well, this is what we're going to do. And I feel like that changes as our kids get older. Like, Mm -hmm. so that definitely was a little bit of a struggle um, at the beginning. But I think as time went on, you know, we, we've, we've created a system of like, this is how we're going to deal with this or, you know, trying to be consistent, mm-hmm. especially the older, the older one. And yeah. <laughs> They're smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are very smart. And I think that the team thing is very important because I think um, once you start to do th- do things differently they're very quick to yeah. pick up on it they're like well dad yes. said i could do this but mom said said i can't do this so like where do i go with this okay i'm gonna go to my mom dad said i could and now you're going okay well did you say and then he's like no i didn't and then it's a whole thing and they realize and they pick up on that that there's a there's right. a miscommunication between the two of them and i'm gonna squeeze right in between that miscommunication and now you two are arguing and he's one because he's gonna get whatever he wants at this point because i don't want to deal with you <laughs> I had kind of like the opposite experience the other day because I can't remember what it was. I, I can't remember, but I, my my daughter went to my husband and she was like, hey, daddy, can you get this for me? And he was like, uh, he was working. So he was at his, in his office and he's like, well, can you ask your mom? Because I think she's done with work right now. You can go ask her. And I could hear her saying, well, mom always says no, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and in my head, I was like, oh, this is what she thinks of me. She thinks I'm the no parent. That's why she goes to her dad. So now I feel guilty. I'm like, do I always say no? Am I the one that's always like, no, you can't do this. Or like, am I the one that sets the boundary? And so now I'm very conscious about it. I'm like, okay, I got to start saying yes (laughs) more often now because my kids are going to think that I never say yes. But, but it's uh, also yeah. just that communication piece, right? With him to yes. say like, this is this is where we need to set the boundary together because it's us versus them, just so you know. It's us mm-hmm. versus them. And, and so you reinforcing have to the other, per- well, yes. reinforcing what yes. the other person has done. I used to get yes. so angry at my husband because um, like my two-year-old would throw something and I'd be like, no, don't throw that. That's bad. Like, don't throw anything. And he would go up to him and like rub his head and be like, hey, buddy, no, don't do that. It's okay." And I'm like, you have just undone everything that I did a second ago because you're not reinforcing that this behavior is is bad. Like not okay. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying and what you're doing are not the same. So communication for sure. Lately or like a few months ago, I pictured myself as that Jurassic Park, you know, when he's trying to wield off the three um dinosaurs at the same time uh what's his name chris chris whatever his name is and i it just came to a point where i was getting really frustrated i wasn't sure what the heck i was going to do because it's like one person's talking then the next person's talking and my little list cannot not be in the center of all of it so now i've got to be like okay who the heck is talking right now and i need everybody to back up (laughs) just back up (laughs) one at a time stop talking everybody Uh, oh oh gosh it's nice to know that you're not the only person dealing with these types of things sometimes it feels that way you feel like a little bit crazy at times i haven't questioned myself as much as i have as a mom yes i I used to think oh i got this confident (laughs) i know exactly what i'm going to do in this situation and i will never forget the first time that i had a like I have no idea what I'm doing moment. My oldest was sick. So she was throwing up like terrible gastro, uh, like stomach flu type situation. And so I'm like trying to take care of her, like 
getting a bucket ready, like changing sheets, like trying to make everything comfortable. And then my son comes into the room and he just wants to be carried and he wants to hold me like I and I'm just like, can you just wait a second? Like, you need to wait. I'm dealing with this right now. And him not understanding like what's going on and Mm -hmm. then him like getting upset. And I'm I just remember thinking this is so hard. Like, how is this yep. so hard? Why is it that I feel like I, I should be able to manage two children on my own? And it's just that that sense of um, defeat that you feel sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That can be and kind of they all like, and they all. Well, it's and hard I feel to like communicate the- that feeling, right? Sorry. Go yes. Ahead. Yes. I was gonna say it's hard when all three of them. Like some days, it's like nobody needs me. And then within five minutes, all three of them are in need of something right the second. And it's like, I I can't. Like, you could have approached me one at a time. And then it got to that point one day and because I'd asked some people and they were like, why don't you line them up, actually? And then ask them each what they need. So I thought that was silly, but it worked. So I was like, line up. Okay, you first. What was your question? Okay, let's deal with that. Next. you And it actually worked. I was like, this is... <laughs> It's like military school. You have to line everybody up and wait your turn, right? My kids would fight about who's first. <laughs> I can just mine see that. too. <laughs> mine too. My six-year-old would like trick a four-year-old to get in line first. Oh. He'd be like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, I know." Oh. Then it, the purpose is gone. The purpose is gone. But I do like it's and, and it worked for a time until now. I can. They can all understand, especially my four-year-old, when I say, wait your turn. Now she understands, mm-hmm, right. okay, I got to wait till so-and-so is done talking. But for the first little bit, it had to be line up. All right, your turn, right? Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so what you're saying, it's as easy as just asking your children what they need. <laughs> no, it's not that easy. I'm trying. I'm working on it. Well, in that vein, Crystal... What advice would you have for another mom who maybe is in a similar situation or is about to become a mom? Um, What advice would you give them? Um, I think the number one thing is just trusting yourself. Like, I mean, you're going to have self-doubt in certain situations and just trusting your instinct as a mother because sometimes, you know, society and family members may have opinions on things, but like, you're their mom. So your instinct is there and you know what's best for your child and what's best for your child isn't necessarily best for another child. So, you know, just trusting your gut on things and just, you know, don't, don't doubt yourself. I mean, that's easy to say, but try to trust your instinct and also just to have that community around you of, people who love and support your family and, you know, it just, your I mean, if you have a partner, like just great communication with them and talk to them about how you want this to all go, like in regards to parenting and what our next steps are and like, just kind of like building that together, you know, because things can get overwhelming, I think very quickly as a parent. So if you don't necessarily have that with that with your partner I mean like things can get hard right so and just tell people what you need like if you need help like that's okay like I feel like I struggled with that um Mm -hmm. you know I can I can do it you know I got this and you do but it's okay to ask for help that's that's important. Like, I mean, you need a minute sometimes too, and it's okay to step away. Like mom guilt is real, but you know, you're a better mother when you have some self-care in there as well. Mm. So, and I think that there's this big misconception, especially in like the African community that as a woman, you need to know, like you should just know how to keep a house you know what I mean? Like how yeah. to take care of children just because like that is long, long since been the traditional rule. And I think that a lot of women suffer in silence because they are afraid to ask just even simple things like, mm-hmm. how do I do this? Uh, yeah. for fear of being shamed. So that's definitely something that we Absolutely. need to, you know, encourage 
people who are in that situation to, like you said, ask for help and be open and honest about how how things are going, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. With that, we will take our first break, I think, and then we'll come back with our um, letter or question for the day. guys we had a short little break and now we will get right into our story for the day or our letter for the day um hi cookie and deny i'm a 25 year old mixed mom to be but i'm a product of an interracial relationship my biological mother is white english and romanian and my biological father is back black uh, from trinidad i was adopted by canadian white parents my adoptive dad is awesome but i have always had difficult relationship with my mother the problem is that my mother constantly invalidates invalidates my experiences and refuses to acknowledge that I had a really hard time growing up in the environment that I grew up in. We lived in a small town in northern Ontario, and as the only person of color at my school and in my town, I struggled to fit in and find belonging. I have told my parents this many times over the years, but my mother feels like I am ungrateful for the life they gave me. I am grateful to my adoptive parents, but I feel that being a transracial adoptee has made it challenging to get support and understanding how do i tell her this i just wanted to understand how i feel all right so lots to unpack here this made me sad i think the adoptive part is a really tough part to even begin um i think that in itself is incredible it's a heavy burden um to carry and to even explain to people and then on top of that, having a parent that feels like you should just be grateful regardless of what you went through isn't really fair. And it makes it very difficult to communicate with said parent. There's there's like a lot of things going on here. I think that there is having a mixed identity in a very homogenous place. So there's that. There is the conversation that we just had about like identity and knowing how you identify and that sort of thing is also coming into place. But also um, this expectation from the parent that maybe the perception from the parent that this child is not appreciative of maybe the struggles they went through to get the child and raise the Mm. child and and all of that. And I think that a lot of this is probably misunderstanding because it is hard to be a transracial adoptee and then be put in a situation where you don't really feel like you have a connection to your heritage. And Mm -hmm. I think the mom needs to understand that. I don't know enough about um, like adoption to know parents in this particular situation are prepared because if you find out that you're having that you have um, access to adopt a child who is not the same race as you is there training that happens is there counseling that happens like how do those I don't know if either of you know this but I just no so she's she's 25 I was gonna say I don't think that there's necessarily training um, because the assumption I think like she's saying is that the child's just going to be grateful. Like, doesn't matter. They got a home. So whatever. Why do we need to train parents? But to be fair, do you feel like we should have gotten training <laughs> on how to raise uh, biracial children? Like how were we to know what it was going to be like? Right. We knew them <laughs> from the start. Like we, do you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you have, you have time in that nine month period I prepare such a terrible word, but like to basically familiarize yourself mm-hmm. with this idea of motherhood. And I mean, like I said, I don't know enough about adoption. I, I don't know if they just get a call and on a Thursday and say, hey, there's a baby coming tomorrow or if they have time to plan for all of this. Um, and I think there is a difference when you can say to your child, um, part of the experience that you are feeling is an experience that I felt too and have that connection that way. Yeah. Um, and it's tough, like being the only racialized, oh, she said one of the few racialized people in her, her area. Like, I don't know. I think that uh, definitely this, this needs to be a conversation. I think yep. the mother underestimates 
um, how her child felt growing up. And she needs to receive that rather than being defensive about, you know, maybe having failed her children. And I think uh, the mother also needs to communicate how she's feeling. Maybe she needs to say, hey, when you say stuff like this, it, it's hurtful to me too. Because, yeah. you know, I I just want to love you um, as my child. And I do I did the best I could. And, you know, I want to do better. How do I do better? But Crystal, I want to hear from you. Um, definitely. My take is similar. Like, I think the mom is perhaps defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, on the subject, like, um, I, I say this, but sometimes I need to practice it more, like using your words. If her mom just explained herself a little bit, like, you know, he, she brought down those walls of, mm-hmm. you know, well, I was your mom, I did a great job. And like, you know, and just kind of like listened to her child and like t- took that in even mm-hmm. like, you know, dismissing anyone let alone your child, like that's, that's, that's a hard feeling. So just letting her mom know, like, you know, I, I, I understand like your point. Um, I need you to explain it a little bit further. Like I, I want to hear you, but I also want you to hear me mm-hmm. yeah. and I want you to just receive this information so that I feel acknowledged with my own experience. So then you know, I can move forward or this, we have a, a common ground to move forward with this. Yeah. To be fair, I think the mom, like when you think about that time, she probably had a lot of things going on too. Like now, so one, she couldn't have children of her own if that's the situation. Then she's dealing with, okay, now I've adopted this mixed race child and I'm going to have people question everything so she's got all of that but yeah you're right if they sat down and actually had the conversation she'd probably be able to say you know what I faced a lot of the not the same stuff and maybe not the same experiences but I was facing my own things from people saying things and I didn't realize that you were and just acknowledging I didn't realize you were going through your own experiences but like this bond over that I think that would be a breaking point because as she's coming close to having her own child she's trying to gain some um, insight on how do I how do I navigate this with my child? You could navigate mm-hmm. it with me. So, like, what am I going to do? What's the plan for me? And what's your help for me? To, like, how did you do it? How you know you never spoke to me about what was going on with me. How am I supposed to now do that for my child? And we don't know the environment that they no. were in. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's easy for us to say like you need to receive what your mom is saying, but we don't know what the environment was like growing up. Maybe Mm -hmm. there wasn't an opening there to have that conversation. And the unfortunate thing about the situation is a, she's going to be a mom too. Like I wouldn't want that, that trauma to be transferred in some way. (laughs) If you know what I mean? Like to, to this child, because a huge part of parenting is raising your children with your, with what we as parents feel is a sense of right, right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And if they yeah. can't figure this out right now, then there is potential there for the same thing to happen in the future, like the same lines of communication to be broken in mm-hmm. that way. And she says she has a good relationship with her dad. Maybe that's the way in. Because if he's a neutral third party, um, although I don't know how neutral <laughs> he would be in this particular situation, <laughs> maybe that's the way in. Like she could talk to her dad and say, look, this is what I'm trying to say to her. I just, I don't know if she's understanding or receiving this. And then her mother can do the same to her husband and try and figure it I out. I think, oof, sad. Sometimes Sorry, go too, yeah, this one's a sad one. Um, sometimes too, people think that once you acknowledge it, you're taking ownership of said problem, but that's not yes. it. I think she just wants her mom to acknowledge the way she felt. It doesn't necessarily say she needs to be guilty of anything. Her mother's not guilty of anything. She just needs to acknowledge her daughter's feelings. But Cookie, this is why I ask: like, what exactly is happening at that adoption level to like prepare parents for situations like this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like if there was some sort of like a training or a therapy then you would have some of these conversations before the child is of age. For example, where are you going to raise this child? If you're Black and you were going to adopt a Japanese baby, you would need to think about, you know, do you want that child to have a connection to their heritage? If yes, and I hope it would be yes, then 
are you in an environment where you can make those things happen? And yeah. so, you know, if you're a couple from Northern Ontario wanting to adopt a biracial child, like how are you going to meet the needs of both sides of that identity in the environment that you're in? And I don't think this is a question that you can ask unless you are unpacking all of the implications of that, either in therapy or at, at some sort of training. And so maybe we need to get somebody who has experience with this on the podcast to really give us an idea. But I, I sincerely hope that they can figure this out because this is she just seems really like sad, like that her life yeah. has been been sad yeah, and she's her had a hard own time. mom can't even acknowledge that she's had a hard time. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think she told us her name, but no, um, sorry, my love. Hopefully you can get that yeah. rectified with your mom. Just talk, keep talking, keep talking. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, we'll take a quick break and we will be back with this week's news. are back everybody so this week's news comes from a new york times article from last year um, that asked the question are we hiding our true selves when we date interracially the article talks about how for example some black women will alter their hair while dating and will take some time to share um you know intimate things with their partner uh, the article also talks about things like code switching to appear less ethnic um, and therefore more desirable. The article also highlights how some people uh, perceive certain things as being culturally specific um, and how those things can hinder the development of interracial relationships. So what do you guys think about this? I have a lot of feelings on this. Um, it's been a while since I dated, first of all. So I, I don't know what the the world of dating is like now. But from what my friends tell me, um, it is hard to be single out there. And <laughs> part of it is that we are living in a society where it's very easy to have a very different life online versus mm-hmm. the reality offline. And part of that online life is very manicured, very like contrived, very like edited. And I think a lot of people try or feel like they have to be different online to be more attractive. And I don't think that's right because you kind of start your relationship off in kind of a lie right do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. so on tiktok there's been a lot of um interracial couples and i feel like the men i'm talking about black women and and white men at this point um that are embracing though that really want to talk about her hair that are um engaged in the way she looks or the way she presents and are more mm-hmm. into just a natural look and aren't necessarily looking for the straight hair or whatever. And I always feel like um, we're quick to dismiss, we're quick to dismiss men's comments. I know everybody's going to be like, Oh, well, we don't need men commenting on our hair. We don't need their opinions, but it's not necessarily an opinion. Sometimes they are literally just saying, I really like your hair natural. And it's not a, I don't feel like they're being trying to be derogatory or offensive mm-hmm. or, but sometimes, you know, take into account the way you might say to him, I like your hair short. Why is he, why would, he's not going to get upset about that. You can, you're just going to say, I prefer your hair short. or I prefer when you, you know, um, so same kind of thing. Sometimes that's all they're doing is just saying, I like your hair natural and I want to learn more about your hair. And it's from but a I think point that's of what, what others perceive. So, I mean, your partner or the, the person who, like, eventually, like, DMs you or, like, asks you out might be <laughs> super into you, like, natural you. But I think it's, like, people's, people's perception of you plays a little bit into this because you don't want to be perceived as being, like, too extreme, 
you know what I mean? Like when I first met my, um, my husband's parents, like when we were first dating, um, I actually went to their, like we flew to Prince Edward Island and I went to see them and I was very conscious that I wanted to look um, as Canadian as possible. Right. So I, uh, and I'm sure Cookie, you remember this, but in university I did my, my hair and braids a lot. Um, so I wanted to make sure like, you know, if I was going to do braids that they were not a crazy color or like not super like complicated or whatever. Like I wanted to dress appropriately and I, I didn't want them to think to have expectation of like what their son dating an African would be. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Was that, was that you? It wasn't about, it was more about like his family. Like I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. I wanted them to think, I'm just a regular like maritime girl, you know, like I, (laughs) but was uh, that you or was that them? I felt that it would have been an easier transition if I did it that Uh, way. And it's funny because with the first time Nick went to Zimbabwe, my mom was like, Oh, I want him to try all the food, but I don't know if he'll really like this. And I was just like, just do it. Just let him try everything. Cook it all, you know? And he was like, yeah, I want to try it all. And she was very surprised that he was super open and open about eating things like, you know, like the intestines and like cow's feet and, and all of that sort of thing. And I think that in my mind, I had this whole perception of like trying to make ourselves accessible to other people. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I want to know from Crystal's perspective, do you, did you ever feel like that about your mother-in-law or your, or your husband's family? Did you ever feel like you had to present a certain way to fit in? Um, no, I, I definitely, I, I didn't, I actually had, like, I read this article and I spoke to my husband about it because I was like, it's been a while. Yes. And I'm like, I don't really remember, like, I went to Washington, D.C. I met her, um, I've met all of her friends, like my mother-in-law's friends. And like, I didn't feel that need, but I definitely felt like I wanted to give her a good impression of me. So maybe I went a little above and beyond to Mm -hmm. kind of impress her and her friends in a sense. Like, um, I wasn't consciously thinking about it, but like, you know, Mm. when they were, my husband laughs and said they were, you know, they they were wanted they were speaking in Chichawa and then they'd be like Crystal can you go get this and I would just like jump up and run and be like absolutely does anybody need anything so like I maybe was like a little over the top but I think that's just me so your mother-in-law Crystal so when she was talking to her friends I guess um in their way they were like let's see if she's she's gonna be a a, a good daughter-in-law <laughs> It's exactly what we, they were we, doing. We called it. We called it the test. We joke about it now. And, and like, you passed with I, flying colors. I did. Like I jumped up like 15, 20 times. Like I was just like, "Who wants a drink? Do you want a snack? Do you want your perk?" Like I was just like, I was too much. I was too much. Your but... husband down, and she's like, "That one. She's a winner. She's and so virgin." And to be fair, her and her friends were probably dying at it. Oh, totally. Like, I I was also really young. So I was just like, you know, looking back now, I'm like, oh, my dear. Like, (laughs) you you know know what, what? though? We're going to have to do that for for your son. Get your friends together. Go do this. (laughs) Go do that. And you see. (laughs) Absolutely. But, you know, it's like those weird couples that will never see, like, uh, I know somebody, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to put them on blast, but um, her husband has never seen her natural hair, ever. Like, she always has it, like, in hair extensions or, like, in uh, braided, like, like, in braids or something like that. But she never, he's never seen her hair in its natural state. And in my mind, I'm like, this is also like not living healthy. Yeah. And maybe in her head, she thinks that if he sees her this way, that it's somehow going to change the relationship. So, I mean, I feel like there are people out there who are altering who they really are so that they 
um, they can appear to be more desirable. And I think there's a lot of pressure in that, in interracial relationships to do that. Mm -hmm, Because, mm -hmm. you know, you want to kind of make yourself accessible to that person. But, but there's no need for that because here's the thing is I feel like what in the dating world now, obviously, because I'm probably the only one in it, um, you want somebody to, um, you're going to be who you, you need to be who you are. The only reason why I probably end up in Cookie, braids or whatever. You know that. You know that now as a, a woman who is, mm. you know, out of her, I'm not aging you, but like out of her, like... <laughs> crazy 20s right you and you are very and just by nature you're a very self-assured person like you you know exactly what you want but think of it this way if you were just in the like in that age range so like in your 20s you might be like this is my last shot like last shot to get a guy i need to appear like i am living like this or that i understand this i have heard that um there are some women who will pay uh, to have French lessons or Spanish lessons just to appear more worldly, or um, they'll get their dating profile photos done professionally and edited. To <laughs> this is this is what I'm saying. Like it's it's kind of a scary world right now. <laughs> it is. Okay, I now I, have I to can... ask you, Crystal, about you and your husband. I have to ask: Did you ever feel like he? wanted you to behave a certain way oh it's just you were just okay yeah no not at all like we like yeah like I said I read this article and then we kind of like had a conversation about it because I was like oh like you know thinking back like I this is what I thought our experience was and he I mean we were just you know it was just it was almost easy like Mm -hmm. you know he was he was himself I was myself like you know, when we met our families, it wasn't like, well, you need to act like this or you need to do this. Like my parents embraced him. Like mm-hmm. he was himself from start to finish, you know? Yeah. So, um, no, yeah, not at all. No. So it must just mm-hmm. be, a lo- I wonder if um, a lot of it is just black women who feel like they need to tone down or, or tone up certain things and um the only reason why i ever walk around in braids because four heads of hair i can't so i'll always be in braids because i can't do four heads of hair but not because i don't want to be natural i just i can't brush four heads of hair so but i feel like if i ever met somebody who genuinely wanted to see me in my natural state i'd be okay with it i'd be comfortable with it because i wouldn't worry but again you're right i'm also out of that stage where i'm trying to impress somebody i'm just going to be me and you take it away i don't see you bending backwards for a guy at least i have never seen that so (laughs) (laughs) but that's the other thing is like i know that when you're dating you try to present the best version of yourself yes yes um so i think there's a little bit of that in this this article um in trying to be the best version that you can possibly be but i think that what's happening now is that people are so um under pressure to Mm -hmm. find that special someone that they're kind of like taking their authentic selves and changing completely different people sidebar on the code switching i totally code switched on my boss the other day and i didn't mean to but like (laughs) she what happened? asked she asked me a question and then I answered really quickly and then I was like I don't know if that's the right answer and then I said oh wait a minute I answered that with my whole chest and I'm not really sure if that was the correct answer <laughs> and she was like pardon me what does with your whole chest mean and I was just like oh my god <laughs> I'm so sorry I meant like I answered that question very confidently without knowing if that's the correct answer but she's absolutely amazing. And she was just like, I don't think I've ever heard that term before. And I was like, and you probably will never hear it again. <laughs> it's like laughing at work. You know how I have a work laugh? Do you? Or know? is it just me? Oh, maybe you. it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> What's a work laugh? Like, you're like more composed. I mean, if anybody's listening and understands what I'm talking about, please DM us on Instagram. But like, I feel like you have to have a certain level of decorum at work. So like right now I'm like, whenever I laugh, I'm just like falling over. My mouth is wide open. I wouldn't do that at work. So that's kind of, I don't know. 
all I can say is good luck to all the women who are dating because I I don't know if I could do it. All right, folks, we will take a quick break and we'll be back for the saddest part of the show where we have to say goodbye to Crystal. We'll see you soon. All right, we're back and we are going to say goodbye to Crystal and thank her so much for coming on and giving us her great perspective. It was thank absolutely you, wonderful to see you and to chat with you. Thank you for having me, ladies. Yes, and don't be surprised if we show up on your doorstep ready for some <laughs> Texas sun and a nice vacation. All right, Thanks folks, as usual, follow us on Instagram. We are at Mixed Motherhood pod and if you have a question or a comment or a story for us you can email us at mixedmotherhoodpod at gmail.com we are now on spotify so if you get your podcast from there we are on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts thank you so much for listening uh, to us and join us on instagram we post some good things over there all right mm-hmm. we'll see you next week take care bye-bye the Mixed Motherhood Pod is written and produced by Nanae Belanger and Kudzai Chimanikire. All musical credits belong to Epidemic Sound. Follow us on all platforms at Mixed Motherhood Pod. See you next time.